0: Welcome, everybody. I'm so glad that you've joined me today for Unpack That. Today, we are looking at the book, Every Memory Deserves Respect. You might notice that acronym that is in the title, EMDR, The Proven Trauma Therapy with the Power to Heal. This is written by Michael Baldwin and Dr. Deborah Korn. It is a relatively small book in some ways. It's not particularly thick or large, but it has so much information packed into it. If you're wanting to understand trauma or healing, or you're taking a look back through wanting to kind of deal with your stuff as we talk about doing the work, this book has so much information for you in understanding what trauma looks like, what healing looks like, and it also has throughout the book, which I won't be able to particularly share with you through this format because you can't see the pictures, but it's got photographs all throughout with a quote. So as you're reading along, there's moments for pause. And I encourage you if you get this book either at the library or you pick up your own copy that you slow yourself down to look at the pictures and to notice what gets evoked, either in emotions or body sensations or memories or different meanings of things that kind of just surface for you that challenge you a little bit. So often the journey of healing is slow. And that can be discouraging to people who want to hurry up and get through it and they want to have it behind them and be in the past. And certainly that makes sense, except that if we go too fast, we can undo ourselves and we really lose touch actually with what's going on and what our body is trying to teach us and speak to us and allow us to really grow and heal. I had the opportunity to go through this book with a small group this past fall, and it was a great experience. I encourage you, any, anyone who is looking for kind of a good book to do as a group, because we would look at these pictures together and kind of reflect on what it was bringing up for us. And we learned so much from each other and just pausing together and hearing kind of the collective experience of others in our group. So I love that about this book. I feel like that's a a very unique aspect of what you can gain from this book. Every memory deserves respect. And I also love that the timing of this Unpack That is coming out at the end of a year and the start of a new one. And sometimes we reflect and I find different people that I'm working with often are surprised by memories that might go way back and they can't quite understand why that matters now or they just want to work on the present or the future. But really there is so much meaning in what happened in the past and what's able to be resolved or what's left kind of unexplored. And so the the whole idea behind the book, I would say, every memory deserves respect, is that it's worth paying attention to. It's worth taking a pause and to notice what might need some time and attention. So the format of this book is really beautiful, I think, because... Michael Baldwin shares a bit of his story and his journey through various counseling experiences and things that he originally understood about himself, and then the process that he went through in healing and growth from EMDR therapy. And then Dr. Korn comes through with kind of the teaching moments about trauma, about healing, about window of tolerance, a dissociative scale, like all these different, so much information for us to learn from. And there's a blending of these two, kind of both offering something supportive to fellow journeyers on the path, kind of fellow pilgrims. So in the preface, Michael starts off by saying, trauma is a part of life. It need not carry stigma or be a source of shame. He says our memories, even fragments of memories, are clues, like a trail of breadcrumbs. They might be incomplete or confusing at first, but if we have the courage to face the one that scares us at the most, they can lead to discoveries that will free us Our memories are the caretakers of truth in our lives. So these memories are experiences that we've had. And and even how we remember things changes as we heal and grow, as we look back at our different ages and stages. They're kind of evolving, right? So he shares, to help you understand my journey, I'll present it as I initially knew it, And then tell you how I eventually came to comprehend it, experience it, and make it my own. I love that template that he kind of talks about there, that he came to understand his journey over time. How he initially started in, that he knew it, and then kind of the evolving layers. He took it deeper and he um, explored just all these different experiences that he had had. And the way he summed it up with two phrases that I think are so helpful for all of us is that he shared kind of the facts as he was introducing about his family of origin. And he said all of that was true. And then he took it a a step further and deeper inside. And he said, it's also true that... And I'll just leave that as a dot, dot, dot kind of moment, because we can kind of know the facts of what happened for us or our little pieces of our history. And it's true that all of that, you know, we had a lot of great things perhaps, um, but it's also true that there might have been some things that were um, left either unresolved or unmet needs or things that really never had a chance to be witnessed. So just to give us a very small um, window into his story, he said, I desperately wanted a connection with my mother. So I disregarded my own needs and the sense of violation that came with her lack of boundaries. He talked about how going to various therapies and trying to find healing, he, he built his career and had all this on the outside, um, things that maybe appeared very successful. But he says, I remained alone with no idea what it meant to be truly attached or in love as an adult. I distracted myself from my loneliness by relentlessly seeking status and recognition. No achievement, no matter how spectacular, was ever enough. Because as he kind of did the deeper work to see what was underneath the surface, he found beliefs like, I'm no good. I'm a fraud. I'm a failure. I don't belong. I'm probably going to get fired or run out of money or end up homeless in the streets and die lonely and alone. That was what was underneath, even if the best job and the best apartment and the best clothes were what were on the outside. He said, inside, I felt small and fragile. He said, I tried my best to fit in and engage in a world that to me felt alien and scary. So for just a moment, pause and realize that maybe some of you feel like this is only happening to you, that you are struggling and it looks like everybody else has it together or they have successful relationships and families and jobs and you're on the planet by yourself alone and suffering And I can tell you that that, that's not accurate. Like so many people have these layers of hurting inside. The good news is, the hope is that there is also healing for that. And Dr. Korn introduced Francine Shapiro onto the scene. And she said in 1987, this psychologist made a discovery during the famous walk in the park. While walking, she was thinking about some recent disturbing events in her life, and as she considered these events, she became aware that her eyes were moving back and forth. And as her eyes moved, she noticed that the negative emotional charge of the painful memories that had driven her to the park that day subsided dramatically. So just as a side note, I so often hear people kind of flipping the letters around. EDMR is often what I hear people say. To give you a little clue on the order of the acronym, the EM stands for eye movement. And as we just noticed about Francine Shapiro, her model here with EMDR, which is based on the AIP model adaptive information processing, the way our brains are able to move towards healing and growth, like we are already wired for healing, which is amazing. Um, this originally started as a way to heal with eye movement and later had expanded to not only eye movement, but any bilateral movement. So left, right Um, back and forth, kind of balancing the brain and taking away and lowering distress. So initially, it was called EMD for eye movement desensitization, and then later added the R for reprocessing. So not only to desensitize, but also to be able to reprocess really difficult memories. So the way Dr. Korn describes healing, she says, as memories are adequately processed with EMDR, symptoms recede and memories get more effectively connected to other related memories and information, allowing shifts in thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and physical sensations. Healing involves spontaneous movement, Toward positive thinking and more manageable feelings, and a significant reduction in distress and anxiety that's experienced in one's body. So, this is very much an embodied healing when we work with EMDR. It is working with the physiology that is deep in our experience. So, mentally, emotionally, physically, physiologically, Um, Not just working with our thoughts or our cognitions, as happens with CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, but also looking at kind of these reactions that are caused by our brain that's trying to keep us alive. So often people come to um, to counseling because they're having feelings of being isolated or hopeless or defective. But what, what Dr. Korn says she has always loved about this work is that people get better. With all that we know today about effective treatment, I can confidently say to a client in the first session, you were injured, perhaps in many different ways, emotionally, physically, sexually, but you can recover. This is not something you were born with or need to keep living with. We will do this work together and you will heal. She said that to me is an incredibly hopeful and wonderful way to start a journey with someone. So looking at what trauma is, she says one way that we survived was by holding on to memories of threatening experiences so that we would know to avoid them in the future. These memories remain stuck in our nervous system, waiting to be recalled whenever a reactivating trigger, which is any event or experience that is similar in some way to an older memory, comes along. So it's kind of like our brain is on the alert and, and particularly if we've had a lot of traumatic events and not a lot of support or full healing from that, these traumatic memories are stored as little fragments, just little pieces where we can suddenly feel emotionally or physically hijacked, that we just have a reaction that kind of can set someone off to feel possibly enraged, or running away, or shutting down, or feeling foggy. Sometimes we're thrown into a full-blown flashback. But trauma is not exclusively an event. Trauma can refer to any experience that feels overwhelming, triggers strong negative emotions, or involves a sense of powerlessness and intense vulnerability. So we expand the idea of what trauma looks like being beyond just that event. And it might also be experiences that involve things like rejection, humiliation, failure, abandonment, neglect, discrimination, Or prejudice. A trauma isn't just what happens to you. It's actually more about what happens within you. In your mind. Brain. And body. Trauma is both objective. And subjective. So looking at. When we're really young. The role that early attachment has. Is that. Attachment involves not only the emotional bond between two people, but also the physiological bond. It establishes a template for all future relationships. And when there are significant and repeated ruptures or failures in early relationships with caregivers, children learn that they are worthless damaged, unloved, unwanted, dispensable, and of value only in meeting others' needs. We form a secure attachment when, as an infant or child, we learn that we can depend on an attuned, predictable, safe, and loving caregiver. An attuned adult reads and responds to both verbal Things like, I need you, I don't like this. And nonverbal, perhaps a sad face, withdrawal, or crying. Cues. So these verbal and nonverbal cues. These cues communicate core emotions. I'm sad and scared. Physical or emotional states. I'm hungry, tired, and lonely. And needs. I need to be comforted, held, played with, listened to. With the kinds of experiences that come with healthy attachments, little ones learn to better tolerate stress from the outside and distress on the inside. And over time, they develop their own capacity for self-regulation. So the attachment system can be thought of as a psychological version of an immune system. Secure attachment combats and reduces stress in the same way the immune system fights physical diseases. So all the way back to birth, we are wired for attachment she has, they have this adorable um, photograph of kind of a baby elephant leaning into its parent elephant, just kind of nuzzled in and wanting to be safe. Okay, I have most of this book highlighted, underlined, and written in, so I'm trying to give you a an overview here, but Okay, talking about things that could be potentially traumatic. There is something that we um, kind of call a big T trauma. And research tells us that certain factors are likely to dramatically increase fear and perceptions of acute danger. When a threat is new and unfamiliar, when people believe they have little control over the threat... And when they experience a feeling of dread. And she goes through and talks about kind of how that was a common denominator for all of us going through a worldwide pandemic the last several years. She introduces the window of tolerance, which we've had episodes about here on Community Roots. I encourage you to check those out. Sometimes we experience too much in what is hyper arousal, or perhaps we experience too little, which is hypo arousal versus where we want to develop and grow is our window of tolerance, which is kind of an optimal arousal zone where we can be fully present and connected to our body and our emotions. So she talks about this window to help us know our own body reactions to our internal feelings and physical sensations, as well as external things that feel like a potential threat. She also goes through and talks about something called the change triangle. And what I loved about this, um, there is a description of defenses that are anything that we tend to do to avoid feeling. And then there are inhibitory emotions that kind of warn us or signal us as danger, things like anxiety, shame, and guilt. And then the defenses keep us from um, experiencing our core emotions, which then lead to If we are able to experience the core emotions, we will have open-hearted state of authentic self that is calm, curious, connected, compassionate, confident, courageous, and clear. So I found it really interesting to explore kind of what are some of these defenses. And she said, most defenses when used regularly to ward off emotions, pain, or anxiety, leave us rigidly locked into unhealthy patterns and detached from our true selves. So we have these defenses that we're using kind of as a coping skill and it keeps us stuck. Um, she's got these two pages of what those are um, that I find really interesting. I'll read some of those to you. Um People-pleasing, caretaking, workaholism, perfectionism, um, over-responsibility, self-criticism, picking fights, blaming self or others, um, promiscuity, self-injury, suicidal thinking, obsessive thinking, talking nonstop, intellectualizing, changing the subject, numbing, dissociating, disengaging. Refusing to accept what is, refusing to grieve, avoidance, withdrawal, isolation, detaching and not caring, fatigue, fogginess, self-hatred, externalizing, minimizing, sarcasm, pushing others away, arrogance and entitlement, grandiosity, aggression, attacking or judging others, having a dismissive attitude, rationalizing, overactivity, excessive sleeping, denial, procrastination, controlling behavior, all of these, and I didn't even read all of them, believe it or not. (laughs) I know I read quite a bit because I find it so interesting. But she says trauma survivors adopt these strategies to keep from remembering, knowing, and feeling. And so when we avoid, we're trying to just kind of steer clear of the things that make us anxious, right? When we have these kind of intrusive symptoms and we don't like them, she said, the thing to remember is that it's just your brain letting you know that there's something important that you need to attend to, something that needs to be properly processed and resolved. I like to think of that as what needs our time and attention to heal. Those are the things we want to kind of lean into a little bit more. And we need to do it slowly and safely with support. Some of the things that happen that people experience when they go through traumas and difficult times, she says many survivors develop a serious fear of emotions. We kind of become phobic with any kind of fear, sadness, grief, anger at ourselves or others, guilt and shame. Sometimes there's unbearable aloneness and heartbreak. And positive emotions can even also be experienced as equally overwhelming and threatening because positive feelings can seduce you into lowering your guard and can set you up for rejection and disappointment. So some people struggle with feeling pride and joy and excitement any kind of desire or love and longing and hope, because what happens if we lose that? So sometimes we have difficulty with emotional dysregulation. It's hard to feel our feelings. We also have difficulty with our behavioral symptoms, and that was what I was reading to you about these defenses. It's a way that we avoid and protect against or distract from any kind of traumatic memories or unbearable emotions. We do these self-protective ways that we're trying to manage our emotions. And we do that in ways that are dysregulating in our behaviors. We also have issues with not being able to trust in key relationships. So we have relational dysregulation. Our bodies tend to react and then we have what's called somatic dysregulation. We can have um, difficulty with being present. So we have what she calls attentional dysregulation and dissociation. So it's definitely something that is um, he- something that we can learn about, grow through, heal from, and, um, not in a way that we're fixed so much as a way that we learn how to kind of know what these experiences are for us and what support can help us to be more present in the world. There's a dissociative continuum that she shows that kind of um, has a range from the whole continuum of things like... um, meditation, or she calls it highway hypnosis, to having acute stress or PTSD, complex PTSD, dissociative disorders, and DID. So there's a whole range of understanding kind of what happens whenever we're not really able to be present and our brain and our body um, know how to keep us alive. And sometimes that's, we dissociate. So some, some other symptoms that we experience with trauma is that we can have a negative self-concept and we feel bad, pathetic, and weak. Or sometimes we feel different, like that we're isolated or we're profoundly alone and we have a sense of alienation. There's lots of others included in here with like boundaries. We can't say no. We've lost our purpose. We struggle with self care. Um, But I'm going to keep moving us through here for sake of time. Um, Dr. Korn says trauma and post traumatic stress symptoms reflect injuries to our brain. Essentially, is. Part of our brains are sprained or intolerant. They are stressed beyond all reasonable limits or repeatedly inflamed past the point of coping. Something in our lives overwhelms us, and our brain took a hit. It responded and then adapted in the best way that it could. But despite its best attempts, it remains poorly regulated performing at a suboptimal level. So she's going to go through and talk about the triune brain, our thinking brain, emotional feeling brain, our instinctual brain and sensing brain. And I'm fast forwarding here a bit. Want to get into what is actually EMDR. And maybe you have had an experience where you've done some EMDR. Hopefully it was a positive one. Um, She talks about processing can be thought of as an accelerated learning or healing. It's when old experiences are re-engaged and in the course of a session, memories with their painful images, thoughts or beliefs or emotions or sensations become less disturbing distorted perceptions or viewpoints shift and new information and present day adult perspectives get considered and integrated. So it's looking at kind of what is the old stuff that is kind of maybe on replay and it keeps happening and um, impacting our lives in negative ways. And then how can we, experience something differently in essence. So there are eight phases in EMDR therapy and she breaks them down. I love kind of the language that she uses. I'm going to go through these relatively quickly, I think. <laughs> um so phase 1 is what's called history taking and treatment planning. She calls that understanding the big picture and coming up with a game plan. So, it's kind of getting an idea of something that you want to work on. And then phase two is going to be preparation. And she calls that getting ready for processing. So, phase two can happen um, all throughout therapy, it can be all of our coping skills, it can be things like calm, safe place or container um, light stream. Those are all things that we've had on deep breath that you can check out those episodes that walk you through that. Um, there are so many great things in phase two. It's wonderful. All of, all of our psychoeducation, things that we're learning, all of that is kind of creating things that will help be our support as we go into doing the reprocessing, which starts with phase three. So phase three is called assessment, and Dr. Korn calls that activating the memory. So we're looking for sometimes what's called tises, uh, which stands for triggers, images, negative cognitions, which are our thoughts, emotions, and physical sensations that are associated with this distress that we're having. So T for triggers, I for images, C for cognitions, E for emotions, S for sensations. It's called Tices. Um, you can also look in that kind of when you're assessing, what do I want to work on? What am I noticing? You can also look for urges or impulses to kind of ask What are you aware of that you may have wanted to do at that time? It might be to flee, to kick, to scream, to hide, to get small. Um, It gives a hint to the actions that got shut down at the time of the trauma. So that is also another layer to kind of explore um, and noticing what's getting activated with the memory. Then phase four, and these are kind of happening often together, phase three and four, four is desensitization, which she calls processing memories and current triggers. So this is where we are adding bilateral stimulation, left, right movement might be with our eyes, might be with tappers that we hold in our hands. It might be self-tapping on our lap or um, in a butterfly Um, bilaterals these are things we've talked about in some of our episodes as well and what you do is simply notice and stay with the body and the emotion stay with what's emerging in terms of imagery and sensory experiences So it's not so much that we're looking for lots of words like we use in talk therapy. It's that we become kind of in an observer stance and our brain takes us wherever it needs to go to do the work to resolve things that feel stuck. So we might initially start with, you know, a memory that we think we're working on one topic that our brain kind of shows us ways that it has connected other memories that are also similar to our brain. And so different um, themes can emerge. um, And sometimes we have to be aware of definitely what we call dual awareness, that we can stay in the present, that we don't slide all the way into the past and get blended with a younger traumatized part of ourselves. We want to stay... In the present moment, doing this work, and so as therapists, we remind our clients that, that you're not alone, and I'm here with you this time, and maybe remembering the year that we're in, the age that you currently are, and remember that it's just a feeling, it's just a sensation, it's part of an old memory, and that you're actually safe now. You might become aware through this processing that there were many things that needed to happen but didn't. We had unmet needs. We might have awareness of being alone and frightened and confused when no one came to the rescue. It might be that no one showed up to protect, explain, validate, reassure, or soothe. So we're looking listening, noticing opportunities that can help with completion, repair, and closure. In EMDR therapy, we invite clients to consider what a do-over would look like or sound like. So things like, if you could have fought back, what would it have looked like? If you could have spoken up, what would you have wanted to say? What did that little kid need in that moment? Imagine bringing that to her and stay with that. So we're integrating with this bilateral stimulation and transforming the memory that was held in the nervous system. Critical emotions like grief, anger, unmet longing, shame, and guilt can be worked on. We are looking for things like developmental repair, This aspect of the work is about making sure that there's now self-compassion and validation where previously there had been none and creating opportunities for these child parts of self to be heard and cared for when previously there had only been criticism, neglect, and hurt. It's connecting the adult self with the child self or selves in imagination A chance for adult clients to recognize unmet needs, vulnerabilities, and longings. The work often leads to recognition of parts of ourselves that have felt invisible, misunderstood, or not good enough. It's an opportunity to step in and bring much-needed empathy and nurturance to these parts of ourselves. So you continue with these sets of bilateral stimulation and just notice what emerges, staying engaged with that experience, the emotions, the body sensations, the things that are coming up. And then as the distress level is coming down, decreasing, we initially may have checked in with a SUDS reading, subjective unit of distress That was pretty high. And we're noticing through all of this work and all of this bilateral stimulation that it's coming down. And so phase five is what's called installation, and it's integrating a new, more positive perspective. It's noticing things like I'm good enough, I'm safe now, I have choices. And we look at what fits best after having done the work. And we notice things like, I'm powerful and I can take care of myself. It's kind of a whole transformative, very meaningful, not at all just um, kind of canned phrases, but what is really most meaningful and relevant to that specific thing that you're reprocessing. It is really beautiful and powerful work. I really love it. Um, phase six then is a body scan. We're going to check in with the body and again, coming back to this idea of body work, like, is there anywhere that we're feeling any further distress? And if there is, we're going to keep doing the bilaterals and till we can have a clear body scan. And then phase seven is closure. She calls that putting stuff away and preparing to leave. It's making sure that you're fully present, ready to go back out into the world and function at your best. It's reflecting on things like maybe what was most important to you that you learned about yourself. What's it like for you to experience it? What's it like to do this work with me as your therapist or whomever your therapist is? That you're not alone, that you're being accompanied, that you're being supported along the way. You might use your container or your safe place in things that would help you feel more supported as, as you close that particular session. And then phase eight is what's called re-evaluation, and that's where we assess progress and we re-engage. So it might be checking back in at the next session, like how did your week go? What did you notice that was relevant to this work that we're doing together? What's changed maybe related to your symptoms, your sleep, your dreams or nightmares, and kind of reevaluating like what picture now represents this worst part of the memory or trigger situation that we were working on because your brain will continue to do the work even after you've left the session, which is pretty cool. Um, What is also amazing and really astounding, I think, about the brain is that we don't have to really consciously try to figure everything out. We just let it come, we observe it. We let it sort itself out and see how it kind of pieces together. It's a very powerful process. A couple questions that she has. Um am I going to have to relive everything? And she says, what we'll do is choose representative experiences linked to certain symptoms, beliefs, or themes. So you don't have to reprocess every memory you have. Thank goodness. And a common question is, what happens if I don't remember? A lot of people say, I don't have childhood memories. I can't I can't recall something. Um, particularly when we're dealing with very early pre-verbal memories, it's all in your body. It is impulses, physical sensations, um, it's somatic things. Um, It's okay if you don't remember details or you don't have a complete story. We'll work with whatever emerges moment to moment as we bring our attention to whatever is bothering you. So that's a very powerful part about it too. What I love to do with um, reprocessing is Kind of organically, we can spend part of the session connecting, uh, processing like we usually do. If we want to kind of look at a specific part of a memory or spend some time doing the reprocessing, we can do that. And just kind of organically flow with what's needed in the moment. Um Michael says at the end of the book, he says, I've discovered that relationships are resilient and that recognizing and addressing conflict is critical for keeping them honest and authentic. I love that because so many people don't want to face conflict. So he's realizing that part of being true to himself is leaning in to be able to work on the conflict. Um, Dr. Korn says... Clients shift from feeling defective and broken and unworthy to feeling extremely compassionate towards themselves and proud of who they are. Over the course of treatment, they come to see themselves as survivors who are deserving of love, success, and happiness. People report that they're able to make their way feeling calmer, more regulated, and safer. They have a sense of having more control, and choice. They're no longer afraid of big feelings and are able to access a range of positive and negative emotions without worry. They eventually come to embrace all aspects of themselves and all aspects of their lives. There's often a sense of appreciation for one's resilience and wisdom. And this is how she closes the book with a little piece clip from the epilogue. When you dedicate yourself to healing and bring a willingness to go to the mat to save yourself, everything can change. You no longer need to feel powerless, like a victim, trapped by your circumstances, misunderstood, and bullied by those around you. You're able to set limits, use your voice, and advocate for your own happiness and satisfaction. You're no longer at the mercy of your own reactions, Instead, you're able to view your emotions as an important source of information and a sign that you are alive and simply responding to the world around you. You begin to see and feel your potential, and as you resolve your relationships with the people and experiences of your past, you're better able to enjoy your relationships and adventures in the present. You're able to surrender your outdated defenses and are free to open your heart to joy, excitement, and love without debilitating fear. So I know we've spent a little extra time today trying to cover some of the things in this book, which there is so much more there for you if you want to dive into it and check it out for yourself. I encourage you to get yourself a copy or check it out at your local library. Um, If you are looking for EMDR therapy, I am certified for anyone in the state of Ohio. I am also a CIT, which is a consultant in training with MDRIA. If you are a therapist who is working towards certification, I would love to work with you and encourage you with different um, situations in your caseload. Um, I am excited just for the opportunity for those of you that are courageous to lean in and to do the work and to explore just the meaning in your life that your memories do deserve respect and that it is worth taking the time and attention to really heal to go deeper it expands your capacity to show up on the planet and to be a healthy human and to be there for others so I so Um, honor and respect all of you that are out there doing this work. And for those of you that haven't ever started or embarked on that process, I encourage you to find a great support team that can surround you and help you. I would love to be part of that experience for anyone in Ohio that I can help. Feel free to reach out. You can find me at jhrcounseling.com dot com. so feel free to reach out um, we'd love to continue to support you on community roots so please share us with others who might benefit and we will look forward to being with you again next time thanks for joining us